You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. I have a question this morning. I want to, I want to begin with this. I, I've tried to figure out in, as best I can how to convey this message to you as clearly as I can. But I started with this question. Is he sitting on the throne in your heart as you worship him? You're going to have to let your mind, you're, you're going to have to use your imagination just a little bit. Imagine that you're not sitting in this sanctuary this morning. But here's the question. What what does it look like where we should be sitting? And the big question, is he sitting on the throne in your heart as you worship? Or has he been relegated to some waiting room somewhere nearby just in case we need him or we need to call on him? Where is he this morning? Is he occupying your heart as we come into this worship? Because how we answer this question, where, where this Where we're functioning is going to determine our preparation for battle. It's going to prepare us for blessing. It's going to determine whether we're prepared for ministry, for miracles, for majesty. We're going to have to discover it in the answer to this question. Where does he sit when you worship? Where does he sit when you worship? We, I asked Jay to, to begin this morning with that song, Majesty. That song was written by a pastor named Jack Hayford. He's a pretty fairly prolific songwriter. He's one of those preachers and teachers over the years. I've never met him, but he's had a tremendous influence over my life and in my life, teaching me unbelievable things, powerful things about the Holy Spirit that I knew very little of a few years ago. But Jack Hayford wrote that song. He's the former pastor of Church on the Way in Van Nuys, California. He wrote the song Majesty, and he shared this story about how he actually came to the writing of it. And I'm going to share a little bit of that story because it helps make this point this morning. He said that in 1977, he and his wife Anna spent their vacation in Great Britain, traveling from uh, Wales into northern parts of Scotland. Uh, He said it was the 25th year of Queen Elizabeth's coronation. And he said you could see the symbols of the royalty and the decoration everywhere they went. But he said when visiting many of the castles in, in their travels, he said he began to sense something. He said he began to sense the influence that one might feel if raised as a child in such a regal setting. He said, as he would go through these unbelievable places, he began to realize that if you were raised there, the mindset that that place would create. And I began to connect with this story that where you had learned to live, where you had grown up, those influences that were present in that place would have such a dynamic effect on many aspects of your life. And this was his conclusion. 
He said, for example, while at Blenheim, where Churchill was raised, it became quite credible how a person accustomed to such an environment might more likely conceive of themselves as being bred to influence the world. That that environment, the place where he dwelt, would establish a mindset that would allow you to connect him to the influence that he had in Great Britain during World War II. That it was, that it was where he grew up. It was where he resided that would give him the, 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 maybe the thought Maybe the possibility that my life was meant for something great. Now, I want to depart from the story for just a second. I'll pick it up in a minute. But I'd like to also conversely say that we could easily understand how a person raised within the hardened walls of poverty might feel themselves unlikely that they being born in that destitution that they would be quite unlikely that they would be born with the same thought that potentially they could change the world as well. What I'm trying to say is that we recognize that where we live, the things, the things that surround us, the influences, and again, we see this culturally all the time. We see, and it, it, we, it it's not a stereotype, but we see people who rise into these positions of prominence and politically and religiously other places that very often they're coming out of a history of that success already. Those influences are making a great difference, but we also see the inverse side of this, that those who grew up maybe without don't see themselves with the same possibilities and the same potential. So I want us to be connecting this. Is there a piece of furniture in the place where you exist today, a throne for a king to sit? Or is he in some other room waiting till you need him? This is a big question. It will, it will absolutely determine how you are prepared to receive Blessing, how you are prepared to go to battle, how you will process the miraculous, how you will find yourself ready to accept the supernatural. Because I, I tell you what, we didn't pray this morning making a suggestion to God. He gives us the authority to speak according to his will that he shows us so that we can establish truth by that act of obedience. I will assure you this morning how we see him especially in our worship, is going to determine whether we think that as, as a child of God that I have any potential to change the world or where I will be relegated to a position where I'll just wait and see what the world brings to me. Back to the story. He said that one day as he and Anna drove along together, the opening lyrics and the melody of, of majesty was revealed to him. He continued driving, asking her, to write down the words and the melody line in a notebook as they traveled. He said, so powerfully did the sense of Christ Jesus' royalty, his dignity and majesty fill his heart. I want us to do a real quick inventory. 
Is that what fills ours? When you think of him, yesterday when we were singing, and we were singing it as well with my soul, I thought he, I thought he was coming back in that moment because I, it, it was one of those very strange moments when, when the Holy Spirit just caught the words, and he was lifting them and lifting them and lifting them, and we come to that place. And we're, sing, and we're singing and it is just rolling in here because, because we could tell in the moment that someone came and indwelt that song. Someone came and indwelt those voices, indwelt that praise. I will tell you, it was one of those moments. If I could have lifted off the stage, I was doing everything I could because I, 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 the toe raises started. It was like it was time. It was just time to go. I understand what Jack Hayford is talking about because I hope sitting here today that our hearts are full, our minds are clear about his royalty, about his dignity, and about his majesty. We don't often think of him in those terms. We think of, of Jesus in his humanity, walking as you and I walk. But we cannot separate him and, 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 and his walk from the majesty of him being king. He is our king. How would we be if we walked into his throne room? I hope, I know the tendency is to think I would be quiet. I would be hesitant and I would be reserved, but if it ever caught my attention that that's the one who died for me, that's the one who paid the price, the ultimate price for me, I hope that standing in that throne room, I could not contain myself, that everything in me would want to worship him and explode in worship because I was standing in his presence. Well, I will tell you today by his spirit, he didn't wait for us to get there. He brought himself to us to live in us so that that throne could find a place within this kingdom now and right here. And it will change how we see the world around us. He said he seemed to feel something new of what it meant to be his. The accomplished triumph of his cross has not only unlocked us from the chains of our own bondage, and restored us to fellowship with the Father, but he has also unfolded to us a life of authority over sin and hell and raised us to partnership with him in his throne now. Not someday, right now. I know there are many who would disagree with me on this topic but I come to John 14 and Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. There are many rooms, many dwelling places. And I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also. And I know that gets relegated to a day when someday we will be in heaven. But that's not, I don't believe that's what Jesus was telling us. Because in verse 10 of chapter 14, he tells us where he is and where he wants to take us. Where does he say he is? He's in the Father. I'm going to prepare a place for you so that you also can be where I am in the Father. Where I can be, 
where I can be in his presence right now, in that throne room right now, recognizing that I'm already an active participant in his kingdom. That's not just a Sunday story that he wanted his disciples because he was telling them, I'm about to leave. As he started in John 13, really in John 14, he's really telling them, I'm going away. As good as the promise of heaven sounds, he knew that they were, fake, they were about to face some of the hardest days they had ever seen because they're going to watch him be crucified. It's not the promise of heaven that would sustain them. It, as good as that is, it was the promise that they too could now be where he is in the Father. The Father in me and me in the Father. He's established that. So that as we sit here today and as we sing and as we pray with authority and as we leave this room to encounter the world and know the battles we will face and know the blessings that we will see, we will do it from a place that recognizes absolutely who he is. So can you hear from this unfolding story of majesty how where Jesus is enthroned in our worship truly and powerfully matters. I know that we're not all going to worship alike. I'm not even trying to get us to. Again, you've heard me say way too many times that religion expects uniformity. Relationship loves unity, and there's a tremendous difference. We're not in here to make everybody look and act alike. It would be a, such a terrible disappointment. If he's going to go to the trouble of making us all look this good, but this different, we ought to celebrate it. Not like those days when y'all have hurt my feelings and everybody, I walk in and everybody's wearing a sweater vest. That's just plain old uniformity. That's just ugly. Where's Karen? <laughs> She's hiding. <laughs> I know whose idea that was. <laughs> you did it out of love. That, that's good. That's, that takes care of everything. <laughs> if God's going to do something this unusual to bring this group of people that look as wonderful as we look but different, and he wants to indwell this, I want to tell you there's not a single person here if that throne room ever transfers from somewhere else into our heart and we recognize I'm standing in front of the one who loved me so much that he would die, give himself for me. Again, we, we use this illustration all the time. You, you know what you're worth? I ask this question often, you know, somebody, you know, what's, what's the pickup out there? Mr. Hill got, an, got another new truck. What was that truck worth, Mr. Hill? What the, what the company would finance it for? That's the way they are with me. No, it's, when he drives it off the lot, he drives it off the lot because it's worth what he paid for it. So what are we worth to the Father? We're worth what he paid for us. The price of one son. See, I can't imagine that. What would it take for me to give up a son. That's like, can't, can't, even, can't find a number. Can't, can't find a place in our imagination where that, but that's what he paid for us. That's how valuable we are to him. And I tell you what, when that, when that ever hits us in that throne 
transfers into our heart, the room will roll in worship. Not just in here, but out there. The last phrase in his story, I'm going to read it one more time. But he has also unfolded to us a life of authority over sin and hell and raised us to a partnership with him in his throne now. Will that be more or less likely true if we see ourselves a servant to a master or the son of a king? Which one, where will we see it? Where will we see that relationship, that place where we, where we enjoy the, that relationship with him? Will we see it if I've been told that I'm a servant of a master or will I believe it because I know that I'm a son of a king? There's a huge difference. Next one. Will it be more or less likely true to us if we see ourselves in a servant's quarters or sitting at the dinner table with our father? Where will it be most likely? Will it be more or less likely true to us if we see ourselves alone in a solitary room or with fellowship and worshipers who have enthroned him in their worship? Where will it be? I've heard people say, well, I can worship God wherever I am. I will not disagree. But I want to tell you, there is something about coming together in this body of Christ, in this corporate fellowship and worship where God not only indwells me, he takes on us to draw us together, to bring something that is unified, something that is beautiful, something where we harmonize with one another. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2. This, I want to begin reading with verse 1, but in particular verses 6 and 7. And you, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, uh, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together in heavenly places. I'm sorry. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you're saved and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Future tense, present tense. It's in the present. It has already been done and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in, the, in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus, we have been established in his kingdom. Now I believe, and I am thoroughly convinced by the spirit of God that lives in me, that if just like Churchill might have been affected by the place where he grew up, to believe that what he received in that place might allow him to see himself changing the world, that you and I recognizing that we're sitting at a king's 
table as a child, a joint heir with his son, we too should be able to see that when I leave here today, there's nothing out there because he's already overcome it that we can't go out there and by his spirit in us and the authority he's given us that we can walk into that world and it will be changed, not even because we open our mouth, but because his presence is so evident on us. I want that for myself and for us. I heard, I shared this with you. I was listening to Alan Hood before he left Kansas City a few years ago talking about uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he said he, he and another man were sitting in a restaurant talking and just had their Bibles open and they were lifting up, lifting up Jesus' name and, a, and, a, and a, their waiter, their server came to the table. And he said they could tell that this server was, was moved as she walked up. And later to find out that she came and told them later, she said, I met the presence of God and you never opened your mouth. You see, if I live in poverty, I will believe that is foolishness. If I, if, if I dwell in his throne room, I'll always know it's possible. I want that outcome. I don't want it to be a second of me. But where I am, he has come to indwell me. And I want people to meet him. I want them to know him. I too, and it's not bragging. Jesus in his humanity came to be the expressed image of the Father. I too want to be the expressed image of the Father. By his spirit, it's possible unless I choose to live in a place of poverty. We have been seated together, heavenly places. Our worship, and I'm not just talking about what's going to happen here in the next few minutes. This is, this is tremendous. This is, this is that concentrated worship. I'm talking about what happens when I'm driving down the highway, when I'm meeting with somebody in a restaurant and we're talking. I'm, I'm talking about, about worship, about where, about where my life stands each minute of the day and the reality of where, of, of where that throne actually exists. Our worship reveals plainly where he is enthroned. And I would ask you today this question in you, is he majestic? I want to return one more time to this story. He said in the writing of this song, it was revealed that majesty is a statement of the fact of our worship when born in spirit and truth. He said this, if we get it, it can align us with his throne in such a way that his kingdom authority flows to us to overflow out of us, to free us, and then move through us to others. Now that's a gospel message right there. That is, that is a, a whole story, that, that the kingdom's authority flows to me. Remember the last week talking about the river? That we're stewards of a section of this river 
This isn't the church. The church is the river. Believers there, believers here, believers across the street, believers down the road, believers in Leveland, believers in Lubbock, believers in the uttermost part of the world. That's the church. And we're stewards of a section of it. But that means there's things flowing in by his spirit. And now I hope that we are those people that overflow the banks. That the river, as it, as it flows into us, that that river grows and swells and the, and, the, and the boundaries and the banks can't hold it. To free us and then to move through us. We're born, reborn into his eternal kingdom with tremendous implications for now and for eternity. The provision of the Holy Spirit, we talk about this often, always, The provision of the Holy Spirit for all who believe not only includes forgiveness of sin, but also it provides our restoration to a royal and a majestic relationship with God as sons and daughters, born into that family by His majesty as heirs, joint heirs. We are freely given power over all the works of the devil. And I will never use them if I live in poverty but I will expect them to work and I'll move in that power if I know that I'm standing with the throne squarely in the center of my heart. It will change who we are. Where does our worship take us? Into the certainty of that family or into the uncertainty of spiritual poverty? Only you can answer that. How can your voice lift him? It's a great question. I was, I use Melissa as an illustration pretty often, but I, you, don't, you don't always know it. But uh, Robert's uncle, uh, Sam Souter, did the, did the service yesterday, but we were sitting over here together and he said, he said, there's a strange anointing on this place. And I said, yes, sir, there is. And we began, we began to visit. And I said, when you, when you walk in, I said, there'll be a young lady sitting here just a couple of rows back. And when the music starts, her arms will be raised and she'll be pounding at the air. I said, because you can't stop her. Because that's what freedom looks like. She shared her story the struggle of it, the addictions in it. She shared her story openly here. It's on the website. You can listen to it. You're just watching what freedom looks like. I tell you, I I use you so often because your heart is unrestricted because you know where the throne is. And the inhibitions seem to leave. And the questions seem to to disappear simply because we understand something. And Melissa is such a powerful witness of that difference. But I want to tell you what's happening here. What's happening? She's lifting that throne. She's, she's, she's elevating him high and lifted up. I will assure you this morning, I don't care what your voice sounds like, you can lift that throne into a high place. How majestic can you, your mind see him? I know we're all limited. 
and what our imaginations can do. But how majestic can you see him this morning? What does it look like to you? What does this room transform into in your mind when you realize we're in the presence of the Father and the Son by his Spirit? How far can your voice be heard in his presence? Do the angels hear? Can the angels hear us? I will assure you by the vision that Elizabeth had about three weeks ago when she saw these people begin to come in this door, we were singing, Parker on the drums and and the instruments playing and Jay over here and she sees this vision as she's sitting over here. And these people dressed in white, women in white dresses and men with white shirts and jeans start walking in. One stops by Parker, one goes over and stops by Jay. And, And she watches this angelic host come in and take seats beside you. And she said, when something was funny, they would laugh. And we began to sing. They stood and they prayed side by side with us. I want you to know that our voices are heard in his presence, even to the place where the angels can hear them and sing with us. But I want to tell you with certainty, Satan hears them. And it makes him tremble because he hates the presence of the Father. When we sit preoccupied with many other things, our voices will carry to the distance where we will hear them. But when we realize I'm in the throne room and the acoustics are perfect there, the voices will carry forever. Yes. When you tell me that last night, I could have included. <laughs> Thank you. Powerful. Thank you. When you worship, do the demons flee? Is he high and lifted up? John 12, 32, we, we mentioned this last week. I'll begin in verse 29. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spoke to him. And Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of the world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to me. Why the throne? Why the indwelling reality of his kingdom within us? Because if we will in these moments, here and out there, lift him up, he said, I'll draw him. He's amazingly attractive, beautiful to behold. You raise me up, I'll draw him. The place where you worship, will likely determine how you see yourself and your ability through him 
to change the world around you. Fathers and mothers, if you bring the kingdom into your home, you'll raise kingdom citizens. And you'll see in them something so drastically and radically different because the environment where they live will help them know they too can change the world. Father, thank you this morning for this picture. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder that it seems like a small thing. It seems like it's just a question of our imagination. It's not imagination. The truth that you've established that we, are, we have been risen to sit with you in this place right now, high and lifted up with you, that isn't an opinion. That is the truth of your word that should cause us in this moment to see you, to see you present in this story, in this sanctuary, a throne upon which you sit. And I pray now, Lord, as you sit in our presence, that our voices of worship will raise you high and lift it up so that you can draw others to yourself. What a privilege. What a blessing, what an honor that you have chosen to do it like this. But let us be found present in this moment, present in your throne room, so that we will know your throne sits in our hearts because it will change everything. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.